We don't beat you over the head with our opinion, and we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio, Voice America Women's Radio Network. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone on Voice America, voiceamerica.com women. Hope you're doing well this morning. I am. Joining me this morning, as always, is my co-host, Lauren Beller, who's president of Big Fish Nation. She's my business coach, and she's, uh, how are you this morning? Doing well, I hope. I am doing well. I have to say, Catherine, it's my 42nd birthday today. Happy birthday. So I am doing well. I am. (laughs) Yeah, things are good. (laughs) Happy 42nd birthday. I remember it well. Not a big number like you had a couple weeks ago, but... um. I don't want to talk about that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to. That brings up a lot of emotional pain, and uh, which is what I'm going to talk to my next guest about. Um, You know, you and I were talking about him, but Bob Livingston, who is a psychotherapist and author of the Body, Mind, Soul Solution, Healing the Emotional Pain Through Exercise... Uh, which I know is something that you do all the time. I don't know if you follow his his um, his regimen, but uh, it's something that does work. We both know that. Definitely. And, uh, yeah. I look forward to this conversation. It's, I've been a believer of this kind of thinking for years and years, so this will be a fun conversation for us. Yeah, today. and he's been working with people with uh, and uh, teenagers, adults who have suffered from really traumatic kinds of emotional pain. Uh, you know, physical abuse, those kinds of things, and been doing it for 19 years, so very experienced, and he's going to be discussing his new book. Uh, it's been described as a revolutionary program because combining daily exercise practice with practical self-help psychotherapy, which is what I do, uh, both of those techniques help to relieve emotional pain and achieve total well-being. So nice to have you on the show this morning. Welcome, Bob. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, great book. And it is your book is a very practical book. Uh, gives us the how-to to, but it also gives case studies, case histories, which I like as a social worker myself because that really makes it real. Right. Yeah. So okay, Bob, tell us, uh, Lauren and me, uh, how did you? get to the point, well, first of all, of writing the book, uh, you know, how did you discover this kind of innovative program? Well, let's see. Um, I'm a therapist in practice for, oh, 20 years now. And I've, as many therapists, we go into our own therapy, and I did did my own course of psychotherapy uh, when I was having some difficulty in life. And I think all therapists, if you're going to practice therapy and business coaches, Lauren, too, you need to go into therapy yourself if you're well, going to do it with other people, don't you? I, uh, I totally agree with that. If you're, and I think, and I think, um, I don't know if both of you um, agree with me on this, but I feel like I learn more about how to be a therapist by being in therapy myself than any other means. Exactly. That, that includes school. Yeah, I agree with you. Or any yeah. other training. Yeah, I mean, you need both. You need the whole thing. Right. I mean, you, you need the degree, but you also need that personal experience. And yes, that. And I think it's an ongoing process too. I don't think that you ever lose the need to go into therapy at different points in your life. Right. Um, but it also gave me impetus to say, you know, I I wanted to find something I could do for myself. Um, and a, a few years ago, I was feeling uh, particularly troubled, like we do at times in our lives. I was um, just a Around approaching 50, and um, 
I was sad. I was feeling numb, and I, I didn't really understand why. And and I'm a runner. I, I run um, 20, 25 miles a week, and now I bike 20 miles a week. Um, so uh, exercise had always been a, 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 a something for me that could relieve stress and something where I, w- I would not, you know, look at my um, problems. It was a way of getting out of my head and, and not and not feeling them. And, and so are you it, saying, Bob, that exercise initially for you was a way of avoiding your problems or denying I would, I wouldn't, it? I wouldn't say it was avoiding it. I think it's, it's, it's the other side of the coin of what my book is about. It's, it's, a way, it's a way of, like, relieving yourself from the stress and getting out of your head and, and, and feeling the calmness that exercise can bring because the endorphins increase, um, which gives you a sense of more euphoria. Um, the serotonin levels increase that makes you feel calmer. And, um, and um, there are other neurotransmitters that, 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 that increase that make you be able to face stress better. So all those things would happen and just make you feel better overall. And what, what I did when I was feeling bad that one day when I went out to run was just ask myself, what is, what is really troubling me? And then when I could just let myself take all, take everything in, take my feelings, take my spirit, take my thoughts, um, not, and because I was in that state of calmness and peace and tranquility, my self-confidence improved where I could actually face something that was really bothering me and that was uh, my wife and I used to take care of this little girl for three years and she was as close to a daughter as I ever had and her aunt one day decided that she couldn't stay with us because we had a conflict with her over child rearing habits and that was a huge loss for me and um, that run I went on I, I, I began to feel it and I began to cry and uh, I feel like crying, crying made it real for me and um, then I came back back home and I, and I said you know I really want to hold on to this and understand what happened even more so I sat down and wrote about it and I journaled and slowly over time I, I, it was a, it was, this was a really great grieving process for me and I do a lot of grief work in my practice so in other words, this, this sort of takes you to the first part of what you talk about in the book, Bob. You have to identify the emotional pain and where it's coming from. Right. And I think that's, that's one of the things that the, the book helps people do in terms of talks about how to identify the emotional pain and also what's the benefit of looking at your emotional pain. Mm-hmm. You know, because a lot of people don't really know that. They think it's like something to, to avoid, something to ignore something that, you know, to try to escape from. And I guess I come from the school that um, facing the emotional pain, no matter how difficult it is, is a lot better and a lot healthier for you than avoiding it or denying it or pushing it away. But you can't really, Bob, avoid or deny it, as you discuss in the book, because what happens to it, it it goes somewhere else. It has to go somewhere. So that emotional pain, as you say, gets lodged physically in your digestive tract or you can get rashes or muscle pain or exactly. pain anywhere in your body so it's you can't really avoid it or get away from it so it's really important for us to identify it and then do something about it exactly and and, and I think my book gives um, readers a way uh, you know a real practical way to do that and um, you know there, there's there's a emotional pain questionnaire that people can really uh, do a self-assessment 
Um, and it also can be used alongside, if, if they are in therapy, it can be used as a supplement to that, as well as a self-help um, technique. And also, as you all probably know, too, um, there are studies that show that um, exercise can be just as effective for major depressive disorder um, as the new uh, antidepressive medications. That I believe, because I, I try to, as a matter of fact, even before reading your book, uh, I, I first try to do some kind of exercise rather than take drugs or medication if I, if I am struggling with some kind of an issue, have a problem, or not even, it doesn't even have to be a major depression. Right. Uh, does it? I mean, it doesn't have to be necessarily a traumatic event. And, I, you know, Bob, I wanted to concentrate on some of the things that especially are, uh, I guess, familiar to most of us. It's not necessarily that we have going through a major depression, but you talk about issues surrounding emotional pain, surrounding intimacy and communication, or commitment, really. Uh, how many of us have been uh, dumped by a boyfriend or right. a partner or those kinds of things? And uh, it really does cause a lot of emotional pain and how to get through that. Yeah, I, I, and I think, and I think um, yeah, the book addresses losses from everything from, you know, losing a lover in a relationship to, uh, you know, the most intense kind of childhood abuse, um, physical and emotional, um, to losing somebody through death. And it's all pretty much the same process in terms of, like, in terms of find, finding a way to face it. And when you go out and exercise, and it can be, you know, in other studies have shown as little as 15 minutes a day you can reach this state of euphoria and calmness, and and that opens up the door for you to be able to look at these things. Are there different kinds of exercises, Bob, that are associated with different kinds of traumas or events or losses, or is it the same? I I am looking at that. I don't have a definitive answer for you about that right now, but I will tell you that I would recommend anything aerobic, whether it be running, walking, skating, biking, um, Something that's going to be moving your body in, in, in is cardio um, uh, will work with this. Um, uh, people in uh, the case studies in the book did 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 all those sports plus spinning. Uh, Give us an example of a case study, one that's uh, uh, and, and maybe let's try, yeah yeah with one of the women because you have a lot of examples of yeah. kinds of of, uh, of loss. What uh, you know what the emotional loss was and how they handled it and what to do in terms of combining this mind-body exercise thing. Well, I will talk about um, one of the women who's in her 40s. Her name is Lucia. Um, and she worked out on her treadmill at home. Uh, this woman had uh, experience at different times of her life losing um Almost every member of her family through uh, death or divorce or death, all different by, by death by death okay That's um, very traumatic very traumatic one right after another and um, her way of originally dealing with it was just to stuff it and like a lot of us when we have these kind of losses we don't have anybody to really support us or really to to who can understand what we're going through and I'm sure you've all had those experiences out there. Um, and you know, as as a child, you're 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 seeking 
help from adults, and oftentimes you don't get it. And that's that's what she experienced. So she was able to really get into all those memories and all those feelings while she was doing her workout. And then, you know, coming coming to an understanding that if she could really face them and look at it, um, she was going to feel a lot better. And that was a major revelation to her. Um, well, we're going to take a break right now. Okay. But as you're talking to me about this, uh, Lucia, I'm thinking, how did she get to you in the first place? You know, how did she come to the realization that she needed to do this, you know, that she needed to work on the mind-body thing? Because, you know, you do get heavy into the denial and the avoidance, and sometimes it's hard to get off of, of that treadmill, <laughs> of the negative treadmill. We're talking to Bob Livingston. He's a uh, clinical social worker, a psychotherapist, and author of The Body-Mind-Soul Solution, Healing Emotional Pain Through Exercise. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, with Lauren Zeller, my co-host on Voice America, voiceamericawomen.com. Talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio. I have three children, and I've been raising my 16-year-old sister. Mary Gallagher and her family shared a two-bedroom apartment with eight people. Now Habitat for Humanity is helping her build a simple, decent, affordable home of her own. When we first found out that we were getting a Habitat home, it was like a dream. I kept saying, don't anybody wake me up. Not only is Mary helping build her own home, she'll buy it with a no-profit, zero-interest mortgage to keep it affordable. Habitat came out and built my home, and when Mary started building her house, I wanted to come out and give a hand. We're not just building Mary's house, we're building a neighborhood. There's several more to be built this year, and I look forward to working on each of their houses and seeing the joy of their face when they open the door to their brighter future. Habitat for Humanity. Building homes, changing lives. Support the work in your community. Visit Habitat.org. I feel very blessed. God has answered all of my prayers. We are home. Are you willing to be taught and invest a few minutes each week to learn principles that will ensure your success and fulfillment? Tune in every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to It's Easier Done Than Said on the Voice America Women's Channel. Radio that talks with you, not at you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you are listening to The Catherine Zox Show with my co-host, Lauren Beller, and she and I are talking to Bob Livingstone this morning. He's author of The Body, Mind, Soul Solution, Healing Emotional Pain Through Exercise, and it's been described as a revolutionary program in self-healing, combining daily exercise with practical psychotherapy. And before we took the break, I don't know, Lauren, if you have any questions of Bob, but he was talking about a case history, Lucia, who had suffered, well, as you describe it, Bob, for those listeners who are just joining us, I mean, all, loss, 
death in her family, I guess of several members, and was experiencing a lot of pain, both physically and emotionally, and uh, came to you for help and was able to uh, get better through your program. So let's, how did she get to you, and what was the process for her? Well, originally she came to see me because um, she had heard. I had, I had been running um, a grief uh, support group for those who lost um, loved ones through death for, oh, I've been running it for about 10 years. And she didn't want to go to a group. She wanted to see, see something individually. And this is what she was experiencing. She was uh, having really major difficulty with intimate relationships. Uh, she's having trouble um, uh, functioning on the job. She had trouble sleeping. Um, she she had it ran it ran the gamut. Yeah. So she had all the symptoms of a major traumatic loss in her life. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Exactly. And she had and she when she originally came in, she had really no means. In no way of of, of processing this, because she she was taught as a little girl that she was a caretaker, like you know a lot of that's that's the role that women are taught. Unfortunately, the major role in, in our in our country and other countries that they are to you know take care of others and be selfless and not think about themselves, and that's what she did for years, and to her detriment. Yeah, because if you can't take care of yourself, then you're not really going to be able to take care of your family or other people. So, And if you don't know how to take care of yourself. Yeah, Lauren, what were you going to say? I just have a question for Bob. I'm yeah. curious yes. if, um, I love this this um, example, I'm curious if Lucia was going to increase her exercise without the intention of healing emotionally or increase her exercise with the intention of healing emotionally if you think there would have been a difference. Um. Let's see. I'm, I didn't hear you real clearly, but I think what I understand was um, if, if she, you know, exercise versus not exercising in terms of this process. I think, I think she was determined to get through it, so it probably it would have happened without the exercise. However, I think it would have it would have taken place over a longer period of time because um, I, th- I believe that my program enables people to get to their stuff. Quicker, more quickly, because they're doing it on their own, and they're finding their own uh, method for for looking at emotional pain. They're finding their own language, and um, and if and, and and most of all, they're they're developing their own sense of inner safety for doing it. Um, because I think the other thing that 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 I believe in um, is that the answers to our our um, Whatever is ailing us, the answers lay inside of us, mm-hmm. not outside. Yeah. Nobody else can tell us really what to do or 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 help us um, recover. It, it comes from within. So this this book teaches people how to look within and how to trust that, and how and how to connect, you know, to your higher self or your soul. Well, your book, Bob, is very specific. I mean, you go to Chapter 6, The the Body-Mind-Soul Solution. I mean, you've got three pages of those questions that one should ask themselves, the difficult kinds of questions. Um, And, boy, I mean, if you could, you've got at least uh, 60 or 70 questions uh, about the nature of, you know, what, for instance, you know, when you start having these physical kinds of pains, why am I feeling the headaches? 
why am I experiencing muscle pains? Why am I experiencing rapid heartbeat? Those kinds of questions. Yes. Why do I get easily agitated? Um, I know when I was going through my divorce, I, I, my whole neck and shoulders, I was in constant pain mm. a, until I had resolved the issues and gone through the process and sort of miraculously they went away, in combining with psychotherapy and exercise, as you say. Yes, yes. And I, th- and I think... And I think for me, the worst experience, the worst kind of feeling I had was having no feeling, feeling numb. Numb. Yeah. And then I felt that way for a large part of my life. And then I got some help. Because, well, my father died when I was 15, and I never really dealt with it until I was 40. And I was feeling better for quite some time. And then, you know, that's when, that's when I discovered this program, because I felt like I was falling back into the numbness. And for me, um, to cry and to feel all the feelings makes life so much more richer mm-hmm. rather than more terrifying or more dismal. Does that make well, sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, because uh, I, uh, I know a lot of people, and I don't know if it's something that's, and, and, and Lauren, I don't know if you agree with me, but whether uh, today so many people, because this is another emotion that you talk about in the book, uh, is anger. Everybody seems yep. to be so angry and, right. and, and then angry and uptight and boy there's a whole physical manifestations related to anger right. um, and how to deal with that and uh, defining our anger and where it's coming from. And I, and I think, yes, yeah, and anger's, anger's a, a, you know, a, a, a big emotion I deal with in my practice and as well as in the book and I think that what people don't recognize that anger is not the first emotion that comes when you feel when you strike out or when you yell at somebody or when you verbally abuse somebody or when you you know hit your hand in, into a wall or you yell at people in traffic. The first thing that really comes is hurt, mm-hmm. is feeling disrespected, is feeling um, reliving a moment when something really bad happened to you when you felt you're going to be left, you're going to be abandoned. And until that can be really addressed, you continue to go through this whole cycle of anger, uh, rage, you know, uh, frustration. Is it always related to abandonment, or can it be related to feelings of low self-esteem, feeling less than? Um, I, 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 I think it can be, it can be that, but it can be that, but ultimately, I guess my 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 sense, my feeling is is that it's it's basically based on this whole extreme fear, this terror that comes up when you feel like you're going to be left. I have worked with some, you know, um, major trauma survivors from everything from like being in, in these uh, cults to being you know um, to having prison guards as as um, Caretakers who lock people up, and the and what they talked about experiencing, what they most feared was not the abuse was was being left alone, and um, so yeah, so I that's I guess that's that's my take on it. And I'm sure other people disagree and have their own you know opinions about that, but um, when that can be addressed and they and you can learn to like okay yeah there are are times when i am alone so how do i deal with that and it can be dealt with because you can learn to love yourself it sounds really trite but it's really you know the truth 
All right, so you're saying that the, the anger stems from those, ultimately, those feelings of abandonment? That, yes. Yeah. Um, and, and that I, people are pulling away from you and you're going to be left alone. And so you strike out. For example, is, is the male batterer, right, who says, who says to his partner, well, if you didn't act this way, I wouldn't have done this. And, of course, that's you know, utterly, utter, utterly wrong and incorrect. Um, what's really happening is that he's, he's feeling like she's going to be becoming more independent and separating from him, so he gets really angry. But in a sense, what he really is, he's frightened, he's scared that she's going to leave him. Exactly. Yeah, so if he takes this kind of a control, which ends up being, in many cases, as you're talking about abuse, yeah. that will keep her, he feels, connected to him emotionally? Yes, and um, also, he's not really even thinking about it. He's just, he's just scared, and he goes right to anger, and he smacks her. And um, this, this cycle gets repeated over and over again. And I work with men around anger in, in, in the book as well. And, and um, there's one man, James, who um, used to get angry at his family all the time and um, when things didn't go right. And he would yell and scream at them. And he was under a time crunch all the time, as many of us are from, from work. And he realized that he was, he was really angry and hurt from his father abandoning him when he was young. So he did a lot of work around that, and that's, that's depicted in the book. And what about women? I mean, that, that's, you know, that's the example of abusive men and women living in those kinds of situations. But what about women's anger, women's rage? Does it stem from the same kind of... Well, I think, I think, um, one, I think one really good example of a, a woman expressing rage in my book is Rhonda, who's a 26-year-old black woman. Who, who uses a program to deal with the day-to-day racism that she faces. And while she realizes that she cannot change those feelings about feeling hurt by, by people being uh, racist towards her or the racism in society, she realizes she has to find a way to deal with it in a healthy kind of way and not be dis- destructive or self-destructive. And she found that by using the program in my book was, was helpful for her because she had all kinds of rage about being disrespected uh, uh, personally and then seeing it out in the world. Yeah, and I think that's an issue. You know, we have a couple minutes left, yeah. but uh, that's the extreme, but I think women in our society, that's I think a lot of their anger and maybe rage comes from exactly that, uh, not feeling respected, right. not, you know, not have, you know, not having, you know, having low feelings of self-esteem related to a lot of different kinds of issues associated with women. But, uh, Bob, do you have a website? Yes, it's um, www.boblivingstone.com, and the book can be purchased right through there or in your local bookstore. Um, Amazon.com, bookstores Amazon. everywhere. Amazon.com has it for sure. Yeah, or go to the website. It's the Body Mind Solution, Bob Livingstone, uh, healing the emotional pain through exercise. And uh, great having you on the show this morning. Thanks well, so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, it's a great book. It really is. Another reason, you know, Lauren, that I like Bob's book is because it's very easy. It's an easy read, and he very carefully points out, uh, you know, how to identify. Uh, the emotional pain, what to do about it, what exercises. It's all very clear, and it's all in the book, and uh, you can get it at Amazon.com. It's he said bookstores everywhere, or go to his website. You're listening to Catherine Zox with Lauren Deller on Voice America Women, voiceamerica.com. 
radio that informs, entertains, and enlightens you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Inner Health Through Homeopathy, hosted by Melissa Birch, CCH, with Dr. Tim Stryker. This show features a weekly discussion about homeopathy, a holistic approach to health care which treats ailments by bringing the entire body into balance. Homeopathy encompasses and examines the makeup of the entire person instead of focusing solely on a disease or ailment. The healing process involves physical, mental, and emotional changes which come from a wellness within. Homeopathic remedies go far beyond an alleviation of symptoms. They can restore harmony to the body and open paths to a higher level of awareness. Each week, Melissa Birch, CCH, explores a different health issue and individual healing processes with Tim Stryker, MD. Tune in every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for Inner Health Through Homeopathy. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh. There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Winning with Wellness, where beauty meets health, with Dr. Badushi Babber, is a place where women can share their health and beauty tips and learn that wellness means having a positive self-image. Tune in every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. Finally, radio that has real depth. Voice America Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Welcome to The Catherine Zox Show with Lauren Beller, my co-host. And joining me this morning is Robert Emmons, Ph.D., author of Thanks. How the New Science of Gratitude Can Make You Happier. I never, until reading his book, didn't realize there was a science of gratitude. But Dr. Emmons is a professor at the University of California in Davis and one of the leading scholars in the positive psychology movement. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Robert. Morning, Catherine. Nice to be with you. Yes. Well, you're sounding great, loud and clear. Okay. (laughs) The science of gratitude. I was really surprised. Didn't realize that there was obviously a science of gratitude. Uh, So what is it? What is the new science of gratitude? Well, uh, scientists are actually latecomers to the topic of gratitude. Gratitude has been around as a theme, as a virtue that people have written about for thousands of years, philosophers, moralists, theologians, devotional writers, and we're just really starting to understand what gratitude is and what it does in people's lives. And what I try to do as as a scientist, as a psychologist, is go out there and and measure gratitude, see if we can get people to become more grateful, see what effect it has on people's lives, on people's health and happiness and well-being. Robert, what is gratitude, though? You know, I think I used to, because I have to tell you, 
I have always had, before reading your book, of course, this kind of negative attitude toward gratitude. Um, and I always compared gratitude to appreciation. And I used to think, well, I'd rather be appreciative than grateful. There was something about being grateful that made me feel less than, that I was out of control, that it was something that it was, it made me feel less than. I was like dependent on somebody else. Well, we are dependent upon other people. I mean, that is the reality of life. Uh, certainly, that's what adds a little element of uncomfortableness. I think you're correct that people do find gratitude to some degree a little bit uncomfortable because it does imply a sense of not only dependency but a sense of obligation. So if I'm grateful to someone because they provided me with a benefit, I have to reciprocate that or pay it back some way. So I, I think there is that tendency perhaps to to see it in somewhat of a negative light, but we find mostly positive results from being grateful by just kind of acknowledging the benefits that we have and that where these benefits come from. Uh, you say it can make you happier uh, if you are if you feel gratitude, that it actually can affect how happy you feel about yourself, your family, your life, your work. It's really amazing. We found that um, a grateful approach to life can not only influence happiness but can have this transforming effect where we, we look at life differently, we look at ourselves differently, we look at what we have uh, differently. We know that people want to be happy. That's the number one goal that people say they have, no matter what else they say they want out of life, to have good friendships, to be healthy, to be successful. If you push them a little bit and ask them, why do they want these things, they say, well, because I cannot be happy without these. The question is how to get there, how to achieve a long-term sustainable sense of happiness. And I believe that a grateful orientation to life, viewing life in terms of gifts, in terms of benefits, is a royal road to happiness. All right. So how do we do that? I said, don't we have to start when we're young? We have to start with the children. Uh, you talk about being gratitude challenged. Um. Yes. Yes. So it's, it doesn't come easily or naturally, I think, to many people, uh, nor does it come to myself, despite the fact that I, I write about gratitude and lecture about it and research on it. I never found that it came easily or naturally to me. It has to be practiced. And that's what also makes it somewhat difficult and challenging is because it has to be a discipline that we, just like physical exercise, is tough and a lot of us don't like to do or we give up very quickly. So it is with the exercise of gratitude it's difficult. We have to work hard at it. And sure, it's easier if you begin earlier in life, but it's never too late uh, to begin. An 80-year-old man wrote to me and said that the topic of gratitude, when he instilled it in his own life, really changed his perspective, transformed his life. So if he can do it at 80, he can do it at any age. Yeah, any age. Okay, so from 8 to 80, it, right. no, no one's exempt. But So then how do we do it? How, how, you know, where do we start? Yeah, well, I, I, I've talked about in my book, uh, thanks, some 10 prescriptions or steps for becoming more thankful and, and the beauty of it is you can start right now wherever you're at you can find something to be grateful for we suggest and I uh, did this in my research is to have people keep a journal a gratitude journal by writing down things in their lives for which they are grateful or thankful even if you're having a difficult time even if you're going through a crisis right now you can you can keep a list you can say well at least things are not worse than they actually are things are getting better or whatever and we find that when people consciously cultivate a journal like this every day, write down things they're grateful for, within a very short period of time, you start to see benefits. All right, so you have to be very conscious of what you're grateful for, and by writing it down, obviously that does it. So you, 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 you actually get a journal, and each day or each morning or evening, you write down what you're grateful for. Is that, that's the beginning stage of the process. That's right. It doesn't matter when you do it, as long as you do it regularly and systematically. So people find different times of the day. Most people tend to find later in the day when they can take time to sit back, reflect on the 
circumstance of the day, find out is the best time to start keeping this gratitude journal. Now, would you suggest that children do that? I mean, even you know, we talk about you can do this from eight to eighty, but uh, you know, in eight-year-olds writing journals well, we, every day about what they, is that how you start out? Children do. I mean, their their journal will be a little, look a little different, of course, and the, they, what they reflect on might be a little bit uh, different, but certainly they can look back on their day. And I have a colleague in my department; she's a developmental psychologist, and she told me when her her daughter was six, she would have a hard time falling asleep at night. And, and would have a lot of uh, anxiety and fear, and then she would reflect upon the good things that happened during. It's not quite the same as a gratitude listing, but very similar. So, sure, even a child can can become reflective on their experience, and I think it brings the same sort of benefits. Okay, you talk about the set point for happiness. Now, what is the hmm. set point for happiness? So we have a baseline, a baseline which is our our typical level of happiness. Let's say happiness is on a. Um, uh, minus 10, or 10 minus 10 would be the most unhappy you could be. Plus 10 would be the most happy you could be. So we are born by virtue of our uh, genetic inheritance. We're born with a certain level. Maybe it's a zero for some people, kind of a neutral point. Some people are extremely happy all of the time. They would be at a 7 or an 8 or a 9. Some people tend to be miserable and complaining most of the time. Maybe they're at a minus six or seven. Those but are the people the, I know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the minus six or seven, those are the ones so I want to talk set. about. <laughs> right, so they're mired in negativity. So that's their set point. Now the question is, for years has become, can you change this set? This has been assumed it's relatively fixed, that if you're an unhappy person, no matter what happened, no matter how good things are, right, great things are happening. You've had an advance at work promotion. You won the lottery gotten married to the you know most exciting person in the world, your happiness will go up a little bit, but it'll come back down. And so same with very negative events. You'll recover very quickly back to your baseline. Well, we can actually shift this baseline somewhat. This baseline is more like a range than a point by which we can actually increase it by doing things like training ourselves in great falls. Yeah, you know, that's a great example because it really shows that the what makes you happy is not necessarily external events. It's really that internal set point as you're talking about or clock or whatever it is. I mean, I was thinking as you're talking, I have a girlfriend. If I got married, I'd be happy. When I have kids, if I make so much money, uh, if I get this job. And she got all of those things, but the minute she gets them, then she has something else to be unhappy about. And it's like this continual process of just, you know, it doesn't matter what she achieves, uh, she always has that that unhappy set point. So that's what you want to change, what you're talking about. Comparison thinking can be can be deadly for happiness, you know. People do the uh, if-onlys or when I get this, like, like the person you're talking about. And they've done experiments like this, that people fill out questionnaire sentences where the first part of the sentence is, if only I blank, and they write down ten things that they wish they had. Other people finish the same sentence, a different sentence, but similar focus where they say, at least I'm not blank. And the ones who answer the sentence, at least I'm not blank ten times, turn out to be much happier than the ones who are focusing on that which they want to be or want to have but they don't have. So talk to us a little bit about yourself in terms of your set point and your happiness. And, I mean, I would imagine that some of your own feelings that came, you know, into play when you when you started uh, uh, investigating this, this science of gratitude. Uh, was it an issue for you? Oh, it was. Uh, you know, I've always thought that uh, 
psychologists choose the topics to study because of particular personal issues, because it's something they're very bad at. You know they're deficient at. They want to get better. So I know I have uh, friends who study memory because they're very forgetful right? and they can't remember anything at all. And I have uh, other friends who study um, uh, public speaking and, and assertiveness because they're very shy. And so we, we tend to study, I think, what we're bad at. And so it was for me. I was someone who always kind of took things for granted, was never satisfied, who was doing the, you know, the glass half empty, who was thinking, well, if only I had this, or if only I lived someplace else, or if only I had a different kind of job, then I would be uh, happy. And so, yeah, so I was engaged in this sort of um, uh, negative comparison, this emotionally backward strategy for living, and I realized that, no, if we have everything we need right now uh, to be happy. And if we practice gratitude, if we become aware of the fact that what we have right now is what we need, we can really create for ourselves a long-term sense of enduring happiness. Yeah, and I think it's very difficult in the context of our society today because and maybe this is my own personal uh, you know issue but uh, because there are so many choices i'm always and and i'm at a stage where i have the opportunity to make a lot of different kinds of choices but you know middle age children grown up i can live anywhere i can uh you know have a lot of different kinds of things available to me i think i've become less happy because i'm concerned that i'm not making you know is this going to make me happy is that you know and and having to make all of these these choices can is which a lot of us have today in and i think that that sometimes makes us less happy rather than more happy or more grateful it really can be a curse i think you're absolutely yeah. right it can really paralyze us paralyze you know, that's the word exactly paralyze what do i do should i be here should i be somebody place else there's two types of people in the world there's what they call maximizers and there's satisficers so the maximizer is always looking to make comparisons, to choose the best. Where should I go on vacation? All right, I find the right place. Now there's a hundred different hotels. Which one will provide me with the best experience? You know, and you go absolutely crazy in your mind trying to make these judgments. Whereas the satisfactor says, no, this choice here, this is the one I'm going to choose and stick with. And I'm going to, you know, maximize my experience of that. You try to go to buy a large screen television. There's hundreds of choices. And you compare them. You go crazy reading all the reviews. So that's what the maximizer does. The satisfactor says, no, this is the one that I want. When they get that choice, they wind up being more satisfied, and their happiness then is much more, I think, easier to achieve because they don't have the regrets afterward they've made the wrong choice. The maximizers and the satisfiers. We're going to talk more about that when we come back. And you chose every issue, the flat screen TV, the hotel, and the vacation. You've got my number, doctor. Ooh, the big ones. Yeah, those are the big ones. I'm Catherine Zott, your social worker with a microphone on Voice America, voiceamerica.com women. about what you care about. News, relationships, health, finances. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Are you willing to be taught and invest a few minutes each week to learn principles that will ensure your success and fulfillment? 
Tune in every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to It's Easier Done Than Said on the Voice America Women's Channel. When I have an asthma attack, I feel scared. It's like tiny nails in the air poke my lungs. I start to cough. Did you know your child's asthma attacks can be triggered by things like shower curtains, a blanket, even a teddy bear? I feel like I'm choking. And there are many other things in your home and your child's classroom you may not know about. For the latest information, call 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. Sometimes my parents have to take me to the hospital. Help prevent your child's asthma attacks and avoid the emergency room. Call toll-free 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. That's 1-866-662-8822. Or visit www.noattacks.org. I don't want to feel like a fish with no water. Brought to you by the EPA and the Ad Council. Winning with Wellness, where beauty meets health, with Dr. Badushi Babber, is a place where women can share their health and beauty tips and learn that wellness means having a positive self-image. Tune in every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. We talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone on Voice America, voiceamerica.com women with my co-host Lauren Deller. And Lauren and I are talking to Dr. Robert Evans today, Ph.D. author of Thanks, How the New Science of Gratitude Can Make You Happier. Before we took the break, uh, Robert, we were talking about the maximizers and the satisfiers. Um, those who, let's clarify the difference between maximizer and satisfier for those who are just joining us. Sure. Well, it goes back to the to the question you raised, Catherine, about making decisions and having so many choices and options from which to select. And it can become very difficult and can become paralyzing in the sense that you become overwhelmed and you wonder, well, did I do the right thing, make the right choice? What about all those options I gave up and so forth? And, and the person who is known as a maximizer, they want to extract the most out of their selection and so they engage in a lot of comparisons when they go out to buy the, the television. For instance, they read all the reviews. They talk to everyone who's bought one recently. They talk to experts in the different uh, stores and so forth before they, they make selections. So they really examine it from all sides because they won't get the best possible uh, option, make the best possible choice. Whereas the satisfiers, they'll, they'll do some of that, but not nearly as much because... For them, you know, getting something which is an upgrade or improvement over what they previously have is more important than getting the best possible option. So they're less likely to suffer from regret, bad choices, uh, or feeling they made a bad choice, and so on. So it's really a different approach to you know, making decisions in life. So the satisfier is more grateful. Uh, they are, in fact, they are. They do. They do find it easier to cultivate a sense of. Of gratitude because you see that the maximizers has this dissatisfaction, discontent, and even though they've done all the 
all the preparations, they've read all the reviews, they've talked to all the experts, they still have this annoying sense in the back of their mind that maybe they could have done something better or gotten yeah, better. Well, that's the position I'm in. I need to see you because I, <laughs> I'm planning a family vacation, and you've just sort of hit on it. And I'll tell you something. I think that the Internet has really uh, causes more suffering for the maximizer because, you know, you, uh, you go on the Internet, you make a choice about a vacation, and then I, I'll speak, uh, what I do is and then I keep going on and on and on, and I get more and more information about where to go and what to do. Right. And I become less happy and obviously less grateful so i mean it's a it's a make because there's so much information out there in terms of making these choices so that's another piece of it i think but once you find once you actually you've now immersed yourself in that situation in that case or you purchased that television now all the other comparisons are no longer relevant and you know and so you, you get the tv sir you comparing the television with all the other ones side by side you go crazy but when you have it at home, you no longer have the comparison side by side, and so you stop you, know, you stop torturing yourself this way. That's actually what happens. So it can be very beneficial to know the fact that even if you are tend to be a maximizer, once you've made that choice, once you've make, made and committed to that decision, you stop engaging most of these comparisons in your mind. Now you are. Uh, I'll have to practice that. <laughs> I think that's something that really needs practicing, at least for me. But now you have. At the top ten uh, proscriptions, or mm-hmm. for prescriptions. Mm-hmm. yes, for being or staying grateful. Uh, you know, we have. Let's talk about some of those because they're very. You know, you're very clear about what one should do in order to stay grateful. Well, they're all they're very specific ones. I think mean, they're all uh, variations on a theme of you know cultivating grateful thoughts removing ungrateful ones um, some are very specific such as keeping a journal that we talked about uh, earlier yeah and you uh, mentioned asking yourself three questions that's very specific what kinds of questions three questions okay so the three questions uh, technique comes from a form of uh, Buddhism uh, came out of a Buddhist meditation technique known as Nikon therapy uh, developed by uh, Buddhists from Japan so he developed this method as a way of helping other people really and to look inside, the term Nikon means looking inside, for the, an introspection, a self-focused a meditative practice. A person reflects on three questions. Number one is, what have I received from, and then the from is from a particular person, so you identify a spouse, a parent, uh, someone uh, important in your relationships, and what, what, what benefits or gifts have you received from that person? Second question is, what have I given back to that person? So it helps us address the issue of reciprocity in our relationships. And then the third question is, what troubles and difficulties have I caused that person by my thoughts or actions or failing to act? And so it's a really a moral inventory that will help us understand our relationships and the difference between what we, what we receive and what we give back. Yeah, that really does clarify it. It makes you... Uh, that really covers the gamut, I think, of your of relationships. Um, the, the next one that you talk about is learning prayers of gratitude. Now, does that mean you have to be a very a religious person to to be able to do this? Uh, you don't have to be. It, uh, it can help. It can help because you know gratitude is a, is a theme in, in the world's religious uh, traditions. But certainly, a sense of spirituality can contribute because uh, with spirituality, you have this recognition that we're not alone, that we are connected to others or to, to, a, to a, a higher power, to some sort of force which transcends our individual lives. And so gratitude requires us we, that we take our minds off ourselves, that we reflect on how we are supported, 
sustained by others, and so a spiritual perspective can certainly facilitate this. Another thing that facilitates it is using visual reminders. What does that mean? Right. So um, one of the obstacles to attitude is that we're just forgetful. We get busy. We get distracted. There's a thousand things every day to do uh, and so on. So we need we need to remind ourselves to stop, pause, reflect, to become attentive. It's really it's really kind of a mindfulness practice that we need. So we can, you know, uh, post um, reminders, perhaps in our house, for instance. We can use a... A, a visual aid, such as a, maybe a statue, a picture, a photograph of someone, a little saying, a, a a proverb about gratitude. We can, you know, uh, do this at a workplace. I don't know people who drive to work, and they use um, signs or um, road marks uh, on the, when they're driving to help them to stop and reflect, uh, to be grateful. So anything that helps cue. What kind of signs would you use on the road to help you stop and reflect? Stop. Oh, I don't know, like Slow a Starbucks, for instance. <laughs> what? Dunkin' Donuts, maybe, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it could be like a nature, you know, it could be a particular tree you might see, or, you know, it, it all depends upon the individual's creativity, just something that helps them not to take things for granted. Yeah, another thing that you mentioned in, in this kind of this top ten list is watch your language. Well, that's uh, a good one. Yeah, that is a good one. So uh, grateful people, they... If you, if you if you listen to people and how they talk and the discourse that they engage in, and it really gives you a, a glimpse, a window into their psyche, into how, how they think about themselves and how they think about the world. Nobody likes me. I'll never find a partner. I'm such a loser, and on and on and on. Right. So that's the depressed person engaged in that sort of interior monologue, whereas the grateful uh, person tends to say, wow, you know, um, what a, what a gift uh, this is! I, I'm on a trip right now. And I flew yesterday, and and the man got in the seat next to me and, and said, "Well, this is getting old, you know, flying." And we're sitting in with the extra um, uh, the seat where they have extra leg room. I think, "Wow, we have lots of leg room," you know. It's a different uh, perspective, right? And so, grateful people tend to use the language of gifts and givers and how fortunate they are and, and how blessed they are, focusing on not on you know discontent or dissatisfaction, but rather abundance and fortune. And it's a very different, you know, reality that they create for themselves by talking this way. You know, I think that's one of the most important ones, or at least it resonated for me, because I think I do that, and I was just, you know, even before reading your book, I was discussing that with a friend of mine who is always, you know, there's always this negative kind of language, and we will go and do something, and I, I'm pretty good if I, of picking out the good stuff and experiencing it in a positive way and talking about whatever we did in a positive way. And this other person uh, is always talking about it in a negative way. And I said to him, like, think about it. You know, every other sentence has this, like, a no in it or some kind of a negative connotation. And it, it just plays on itself, and it becomes part of your psyche and how you view the world. I think that's really important. Watch your language. Um, he might not even be aware of it. It becomes no. so automatic after a while. You, you're not even aware of it until somebody else points it out to you. Yeah. I mean, he, Bob, he, uh, Robert, he wasn't aware of it. And uh, mm -hmm. actually, this was several months ago. But now, really, for, and as you say, first you have to become aware of it, whether it's Someone points it out to you, or you, you know, uh, but and then practice it. I mean, I think that's really important. Anyway, we have a lot more to talk about, but we do have to say goodbye. And I want to make sure that uh, listeners have your website, know where to go. They can buy your book online, bookstores everywhere. But uh, give us a website we can go to as well. Well, that makes me very grateful. Uh, that would be <laughs> thanksbook.com. Thanksbook.com. There's links to where you can where you can buy to learn more about the book. Terrific. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you, Catherine. Yes. My pleasure.
Dr. Robert Evans, and he's a Ph.D., and he's author of Thanks, How the New Science of Gratitude Can Make You Happier. Well, uh, we've reached the end of our show. Lauren, we have to say goodbye. That was a great show. Thank you, Catherine. Are you grateful? I am. <laughs> Good. And, and since you, you know, as everybody knows, Lauren has uh, not a new baby anymore, but a year and a half, so you can start, I think you can start at a year and a half to teach Absolutely. them these kinds of things, don't you? Absolutely. I, you know, it's, I think it's, it's an easy structure to start to have people think that way at a young age. Yeah, so you don't have to kind of try and turn your life around at 80. You want to do it. Exactly. <laughs> start when it's easy. Start when it's easy. Anyway, have a great week, you and uh, we'll talk to you next week. I'm Catherine Fox, your social worker with a microphone with Lauren Deller, and you've been listening to Voice America, voiceamerica.com women. Have a great day, and we'll see you next week. 